Welcome to the Silicon Valley Bootstrapper Success Stories. In this podcast, we're telling the stories of those bootstrappers who self-funded their company and grew past $10 million in revenue. We're here not only to celebrate their success, but also to learn from their experience and get inspired so that one day we can make it big as well. Today, I have the honor of interviewing Vivek Baskaran, the founder and CEO of Question Pro. Vivek founded Question Pro in 2005 with a very simple idea to provide online survey platforms so that companies can make better business decisions. Their software not only can create, distribute, and analyze surveys, but can also provide a platform for polling, tablet-based mobile research, and data visualization. Today, Question Pro has more than 2.5 million users across 100 countries. Question Pro was named one of the fastest growing private companies by the Inc. magazine in 2008. Now, Vivek is going to share with us how he bootstrapped his company from the very beginning to way past $10 million in revenue. Thank you, Vivek, for allowing me to interview you. I know that you have uh, bootstrapped your company and grown it really big. Yes. So congratulations, first of all. And also, I wanted to take this time to kind of share your experience so that other people can benefit from it. Absolutely. I'm happy to help anywhere I can. Absolutely. Great to be here. Thank you. Great. So the way we go about this interview is I'm going to ask you some questions and you know, yeah. uh, share your experience. So Absolutely. The very first question I want to say is, when did you start your business? I started in 2005, actually. So it's quite a while ago. So and uh, almost 15, 15 years. years. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So that was my first business I started. You know, I wish I could tell you that, you know, I had this great idea. I just hated my boss. So I said I wanted to, I didn't want to work for somebody else. And I quit my job and I had this idea of running a tech startup. And I came up with the idea and, and then it was when one thing led to the other. And, and that's how we started. Okay, great. So that's actually a second question. <laughs> uh, why did you start your business? You're saying it's because you don't want to be your boss. And what else? Oh, I hated my boss. I mean, I want to be my own boss. But I guess part of the thing was, you know, I was doing consulting work prior to that <laughs> and did a ton of consulting work. And in consulting, you never feel that you're part of something. At least I didn't. So we wanted to build a, you know, consulting is good. You know, you're making money. It's really good. And then like, you know, everybody knows like it's feast or famine. <laughs> and then so I wanted to build a product and I had this idea for running us, you know, building a survey platform that I had in my previous life. I had worked with a couple other guys in terms right. of building uh, building some technology there. So yeah, in 2005 is when I think before that I was kind of like, you know, start, you know, building the product a little bit uh, while doing doing my day job. And then in 2005, we made enough money that I feel like I could quit my job and I could go forward with it. So in 2005 is when I quit. And uh, since then, it's been a wild ride, a fun ride. And uh, we ended up not raising any money 
partly because we actually at the time, this was 2005, you know, it was very difficult to, nobody was, you know, I mean, there were funding going on, but at that time, we didn't bother raising any money and we made most of our money from clients. Right. So that's why we decided like, well, we're making money, we're selling our platform to clients and we might as well continue going. The clients were happy, we were happy and we were we were able to, and granted we were in a business that was online and online and tech, so capital costs are super low. And I'm a, I'm a software developer, I'm a programmer by, you know, by trade, so I could build pretty much whatever we needed to build very quickly. And so that's one of the big reasons why we ended up not raising money is because we had internal capabilities, quite frankly. Right. You mentioned that in the beginning, you kind of still working for somebody else, but you started right. your company. Yeah. How long does that? Uh, that was for, I mean, my side hustle lasted for about a year, I guess. Okay. You know? Okay. So one year, and that yeah. allows you to sort of develop the product. yeah develop the product, get the product market fit, kind of develop, kind of do things, and while not like really you know killing yourself. <laughs> so nights, weekends uh, were filled with kind of doing the work. Right. Then I felt enough comfortable enough that this is going to go somewhere, and that's when I quit my job. So, what did you do well? What did we do well? I'd say we got lucky. I mean, I'd say like, apart from doing well, you know, when we started off, you know, we were a bunch of tech guys trying to build a product and we figured like, we didn't know much about marketing. We didn't know much about sales, but we were focused on product. And I think we were able to attract people to our website through SEO and people were so searching for it, you know, they used to come to our site. Yeah. And then we just figured, well, well, that's our marketing strategy, you know. So search became our marketing strategy up front. So search engine, yeah, oh, search engine. Not, engine. Oh, yeah, so to search engine. So if people are searching for you, then if you're there, yeah, then yeah. people, you know, then you're, it's easy. You can get customers. So our cost of customer acquisition was pretty low because we had invested and we figured out how to get to number one for a bunch of terms in on SEO effectively mm-hmm. uh, on search. And that, I would argue, is probably the reason why we were able to get new customers, right? Yeah. Without actually paying on arm and a leg and, you know, billboards and advertising and things like that. We didn't have to do that. When people are searching for it, again, search is a pretty kind of very powerful concept because people are looking for something like mm-hmm. it, what you have to offer. You're not like randomly saying like, hey, I'm, you know, we have this amazing product. You're saying like, I'm looking for something like this. So it's much easier to sell somebody who's looking for something than a random guy, obviously, who's not looking for it, right? So basically, then you have to understand that there is a market need for what you're buying. Correct. Yeah, there's some amount of demand for what you're building, right? There's some amount of demand, right? Whether it is directly, like, you know, people are searching for slightly different terms and when you can apply your solution to those terms, that's a separate issue. But definitely, that you know, selling to people who are actually looking for something is clearly 10 times easier than selling to, you know, you know, trying to kind of go, kind of go, go outbound and try to like call up somebody and say, I think you should do this. So that's what we chose. And that's why it was easier for us to sell. And that's why we didn't have to go out and raise money because that sales process was much easier. And, you know, like all entrepreneurs, we all kind of learned on the job realistically. Like, you know, we had no experience with marketing or sales, but, you know, we figured we got a market and we got to sell. So how many of you started the company together? So it was me and my buddy Kevin. So two of us started the company back in 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, then in 2009, we split and we bought out his stock. And uh, at this point, I'm kind of, kind of, I'm running the company. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I wanted to show you this. Yeah. This is kind of like a typical growth curve, right? Yeah. It's like most business school would show you this. Basically, you start off uh, have a startup yeah. phase. Eventually, you kind of uh, become stable. Uh, you don't 
double, yeah. triple every year anymore. Yeah. You kind of stabilize. And then maybe there is a second incident, a new product line or yeah. something like that, that would trigger rebirth or yeah. it will gradually decline. That's yeah. kind of the life cycle of a company. Looking at your company right now, where do you think in this cycle you are in? I would say in the beginning of the growth or in the middle of the growth area. Okay, so you're um, in the in yeah. explanation. Yeah, I mean, I think we are growing for our scale. We are growing at about 35-40% every year. Oh, wow. So it's, you know, reasonably. And partly, we are also kind of like the market is very, very large. You know, the business that we are in, the market is extremely large, right? right, right. Now, we are in the business of helping companies understand their customers or get, you know, understand the experience of their customers through surveys. So if you think about it, you know, experience measurement is a very important element most companies are trying to measure, right? Because they want to improve the experience for their customers. And we cannot improve something till you measure it. And so we become the de facto standard for measurement, effectively, of experiences. So the market is really large. So I would say the market is growing, you know, fairly exponentially right now. So everybody has realized that, you know, in order to provide better service, better, you know, extract more revenue, you got to deliver an amazing service. And I mean, not only just an amazing service, an amazing experience. It's not just the service, it's everything combined. And what we help companies do is to measure experience across the entire life cycle, right? You know, whether it be employee experiences or even be, you know, customer experiences, we help companies measure that and monitor that. And that's where we we see our growth coming from. I see. Uh, how big is this market? Uh, it's pretty big. I mean, there are two or three companies that are worth a billion dollars in the space. So oh, wow. it, is, okay. it is extremely large, realistically, okay. right? So that's why we are, you know, we're still excited. I'm still excited, even though you could argue like, hey, look, this company's been out there for almost 15 years. But I'm still excited in terms of, you know, we've been profitable throughout these years. We've made a lot of money and now we continue to make money. You know, our growth rate did flatten up in between. So in, in 2010 to 2013, we were again a little slower. Right. But then, you know, I think the last couple of years, it's picked back up again. So in terms of, and, and you're right, you cannot add new products. Right. We, differently, we added more products to our product line mm-hmm. we kind of reinvented ourselves a little bit and so as long as we keep kind of you know putting more energy into product and ideas then i think we can catch one or two more right, waves right. as we go so, forward yeah a lot of companies actually go through a couple of those yep. stagnant or mature phase that you're actually growing the company and then new idea came and uh, new product yeah it's really a new product a new idea a new process that kicks in yeah, yeah. Yeah, we did a lot of like international expansion. That was really helpful for us. We opened up offices. We've always been international from day one. Uh, we have an office in India. We have an office in here. But then as we grew, we kind of said, you know, we will open up sales offices in different places. That was a pretty bold experiment. We opened up an office in Mexico to selling into Latin America in Spanish. Uh, that turned out to be really, really well. And that led us to say like, okay, this is a great viable strategy where we can expand globally by saying, okay, look, you know, we can open up an office in Germany. We can open an office in Dubai and sell in those markets and have somebody, you know, sell in those markets effectively. Right. So that strategy has been working really well for us. And again, new strategies will come across and some of them, you know, most of them don't work some of them do work the ones that work <laughs> the ones that work you know were you know compensate yeah, for the ones yeah, obviously exactly, that don't work really exactly. you know, that's, that's life didn't they say the vc is like that right they invest yeah. in like 10 20 companies they yeah. only bank on one to them. work to yeah. uh, make the big bucks right exactly so, so yeah brave enough to experiment yeah we gotta try it we gotta try new ideas otherwise it's not gonna i mean otherwise you just gonna yeah. get stuck yeah sounds good so because there are different phases of a business cycle, right? In the startup phase, when you're trying to grow in the growth phase, even the maturity phase, there are different challenges. So 
wanted you to kind of let the audience know mm -hmm. at the startup phase, what is your biggest challenge and how did you overcome it? Well, it's pretty simple. Startup phase, you're just trying not to die. <laughs> That's okay. it, right? Yes. And for us, it was you know acquiring customers and making them happy and satisfying them, mm -hmm. right? And doing whatever it takes to get the deal done. So I see the startup phase more as like you know not get too bogged down with process and systems and things mm -hmm. like that. You know, you're playing hand combat and you're trying to survive realistically. Right. And which means you do whatever it takes to survive, right? And that's the mentality I have is like, doesn't matter, forget about the process, forget about whether it's right or wrong. What do we need to do to win today, right? right? Yeah. If you get too caught up in like, okay, look, we got to do this, this, this in the future, like, you know, you're not going to be able to survive for three months, six months. Right. Now, again, it really depends upon the kind of companies you have. It really depends upon how much funding you've raised, how much funding you have not raised, how much money you have in the bank versus how much runway you have versus how much customers are giving you. Where do you, where do you believe it? Um, my personal belief is obviously like, you know, what I would say, like, you know, a lot of product market fit gets, you know, solution with customers. I'm a lot more kind of gravitated towards customers than investors, clearly, obviously, right, right. <laughs> from personal perspective. Right. Yeah. And so for me, at least my experience has been during the startup phase, you know, we put customers in the middle of everything, mm -hmm. make sure that they are happy and make sure that they're funding you effectively, appropriately. If you can get that to work, then the first million bucks, you can get through the first million dollars. That gives you enough kind of horsepower energy to think about the next phase, if you will, to grow from one to 10 realistically uh, but the, you, know, you start doing things that are in the one to ten range in the zero to one range right. you're very likely going to fail because there's a different group of kind of you know energy and effort that re that is required that different is completely priority. yes this in the startup phase it's really is like what you said for lack of a better word is like brutal hustle you got to figure out you know simply you just have to figure out what the customer wants what they'll pay for how much they're going to pay and see if you can deliver that end of story right I mean, it's not not much more i'm simplifying it but that's what we did realistically right. like look we just said like the customers are going to figure you know we will make money from our customers and the customers need a b c and d and we need to deliver a b c and d end of story right yes and if you can't deliver that they are not going to pay us they're not going to pay us we're going to be out of business and we're done <laughs> uh, you know, end of story you know. so i kept it kind of you know distill that down to that yes and that helped us kind of get to the first phase really go through the kind of you know at least not dying phase no, you know, right yeah, stabilizing yeah. the company and then it became about process and systems right right after that right yes. and again i think it's very difficult like even we for example it took us some time to switch from one phase to the other in terms of you know scaling it up right. and there's a different i mean again it's a different set of challenges. It's not about, you know, doing one thing, you know, in the second phase, you're not just doing one thing for a customer, you're putting systems and process in place so that you can repeat and rinse and repeat across, across all your customers. Right. So that's actually in the growth phase. Right? Yep. Would you say the growth phase, the biggest challenge is? For us, yeah. I mean, it's, an, it's different sort of challenges. I mean, I think, right. you know, we're working equally hard as we, you know, when I started it, really, right? And, you know, all of us who work in this company, we're all passionate about what we do and we love what we do. So that's kind of the reason why we work hard. And yeah, the growth phase is kind of slightly different. You know, a lot of systems process have to be put in play and they have to work, really. It's not just one guy cannot do a thing, but a system has to be put in place so that, you know, there's a cumulative output across multiple people working together, trying to get right. something done um, you know in the in the growth phase you're a lot more focused on systems and process than individual kind of deal making if you will right. right so that's where we are right now and that's where we pivoted to as we go along okay i see so yeah in the growth phase and uh, you did say that you have a couple years that kind of 
stagnant, not mm-hmm. growing as fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that could be considered the first maturity phase where you're just running the business. Yeah. What is the biggest challenge there? Yeah, I mean, in terms of quickly making decisions, we went through a phase where we knew things were not working, mm-hmm. but we were not making decisions to counteract that. Mm-hmm. Like uh, being a little bit more action oriented in making decisions and making changes to our kind of operating principles or our operating behavior. I would say when you're not making those changes, then you tend to plateau out. At least that's what it happened for us. Like there's a bunch of things we knew were not working well, but nobody kind of had kind of like we don't have, I guess to some extent you could argue we did not have the risk appetite or like, okay, let's try a little bit more instead of just saying like, look, this is not working you know, two, three quarters is not working. We got to try something. We got to stop it and restart somewhere. Do something a bit drastic. Exactly. Uh, I mean, it's easier. In hindsight, everything is easy. But, you know, at least looking for that pattern where like you're stagnating and you're stagnating not because of some other reason, but stagnating because you're not innovating. You're not coming with new things. And and that's when I would say that we should have kind of like, in hindsight, I, I wish we had pushed it a little bit harder. Like, okay, you know what? That's not working. Let's stop doing it. Let's try a different approach to the same right. problem. You know, try doing something different. And that, you know, I think when we had slowed down back in, you know, a few years ago, you know, I, if we had kind of like applied some of those principles, then I think we would have kind of got ourselves unstuck uh, a little faster. Right, right. Yeah, it just reminds me of Intel's CEO. Mm-hmm. He was talking to his partner and saying, what would the investor do if, because they're in that uh, stagnant phase? Yep. What would the investor do? Because they, they would fire us and they would go for CPU. Yes. And yes. said, okay. Why don't we we just do it ourselves? So that's a great one. Like I do that. um, I think, I don't know where I heard it from somebody, but I think I do that. Like sometimes in order to make kind of like, we are wedded to our decisions Mm -hmm. that we've made in the past, right? But sometimes that's not the right thing to do. So like another kind of interesting thought experiment that I do quite a bit Mm -hmm. is like, what would you do if you fire yourself today? Yes. And then hire yourself back the next day, all right? Because now you're coming with, as a, as, and hire you as a consultant to me, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to yourself and say, yeah. what were your advice to me? Yes, yes. Right. And so in the analysis that I have is like largely a lot of our decisions today are because we made three decisions yesterday and five decisions you know, a year ago. But that may not be the right thing to do today. Mm-hmm. Right. And so and you're kind of like emotionally attached to the decisions you made or your team has made, right? But at some point you gotta say like, look, if I were advising myself, what would I say? Yes. Right, and and the only way mentally I can do that is like if I got fired tomorrow and I got the job back again the next day, what would I do? Mm -hmm. Would I advise doing the same thing that we're doing? Or we'd say like, that's a stupid idea, we shouldn't be doing that. (laughs) It turns out that I was the one who created that stupid idea to begin with, right? right. And so that's why I have a hard time saying that, right? And so now if you kind of break that out, Right. then you can like reorient yourself effectively and say like, oh, we, we won't do that. I know. Yes. And so you don't have to, you, know, you save a lot of money too. You don't have to have your expensive consultants <laughs> come and say the exact same thing well, that you already know. Yeah, you're from the consultant. I know. That's why I don't want to pay the consultants. That's why I know that. Like the consultants don't say anything new. They just say what you know and, yeah. and they say it from a different viewpoint and a different perspective. And, and, and after you pay them that much, you kind of wanted to. Exactly. After you pay, so that's another reason. So you pay the consultants, so you have to listen to them. Yeah. Otherwise, you shouldn't be paying to them. But then, then for the most part, I mean, that's one kind of, you know, at least internally we do like, okay, you know, if we were 
we have most of us in the company have been consultants like yeah i mean they're not super bright guys they're sharp guys but we are sharp guys too it's just that we have a bunch of shackles and baggage associated with some of our decisions yes. that we've made in the past and we are continuing on those right without like objective reevaluation which is kind of what you know all thing all of us need to do at some point saying like let's objectively reevaluate why are we doing certain things and if we cannot reset it then you continue doing the same thing and not for very economically sound reasons yes that is true so looking at that graph right when there got to be an exit point and yep. at some point you say Robert Kiyosaki said the only reason to start a business is to, to sell it. Yeah. Right. So where do you see in your horizon of the company? Where is that exit point? I think we'll probably sell in a couple of in a few years. Okay. Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, you know, I mean we haven't sold it yet, but that doesn't mean we won't sell it. It's just a matter of, you know, getting the right right price, you know, right. and we feel with the right time and right price we will sell the company. Right. Um so far we have not sold the company, we've kind of continued on because partly kind of we've had a good run and we all enjoy what we do and there's a lot of fun in terms of what we are doing right now. Yeah. Uh partly we've kind of reinvented ourselves as we go along on along. So it's something new, you know, most of the people in the company they've had different roles. They've been with me some some of them have been with me 10 plus years, but they have had different roles in these 10 years. They're not doing the same job. Even for me, I get bored of things and so but the size of the company is bigger so I'm you know, truly my job function I've been the leader of this company but my job function has changed yes. because the way you run you know a million dollar business versus uh, 10 million dollars versus a yes. 100 million business they're all different roles yes. really yes. you could be the CEO of any one of these companies but it's a different atmosphere different mechanism different process yeah. and even for me it's a learning experience right i mean i've never run a company as big as it is you know, obviously right so now for me it's a new functions that's what keeps me excited that's yes. why like i wake up and say hey this is new stuff to do it differently and it's not the same thing that we did 2 years ago we can't do the same thing today right. because the company is you know twice as large as what it was 2 years ago realistically right so that's what keeps me excited going back to your specific question about what kind of you know exit yeah i mean i mean i think anybody with a big fat check I'll sell the company <laughs> <laughs> well uh, some people have this belief about uh, when you're selling the company you have to get to a certain level you have to have certain infrastructure you have to somewhat package yourself so you can get out with more than whatever the company is worth what do you think about that i mean i think there are kind of different breakpoints at least you know it depends on what you want really right i mean you can sell a company and there are people who sell companies at a million bucks people who sell a company at 10 at 100 realistically right. right it comes down to your personal choice around when you want to exit I think that comes down to kind of are you having fun what the kind of work you're doing is it challenging is it interesting is it exciting and if that starts to win then all these other things come into play then I got a bounce I got a, I got a newer idea or the people you're working with it's not fun with them anymore there are a lot of I feel that a lot of you know the decision to sell or not to sell a company a lot of it is also kind of intermingled with a lot of interpersonal decisions in terms of where we are what we want to do um going back to your specific question around you know do you need to package the company yes depending upon the size of the company you do need to kind of dot the i's and cross the t's because yeah. somebody's going to buy it it's like selling your house do you you know you, you <laughs> kind of like you clean it up really you kind of frankly you don't sell the house the same way you yeah i mean there's a reason why people stage houses everywhere right yeah, i mean yeah. they're not idiots there's a reason you do it right yeah. it's not then mean you go overboard and re- redo the entire company but i mean let's say you're selling a house you stage it you hire a realtor you 
clean up, patch up the walls <laughs> and paint the walls, yes, yes. whatever we need to do. So I think I look at it a very similar exercise, right? So you gotta like, you can't change the company, you can't change your house, you can't change the location, you can't change it. But what you can do is to make it appealing, right? Yeah, so there is some little bit of work that needs to be done in terms of cleaning the books, auditing books, this, that, all kinds of stuff that can be done from a financial perspective and from a kind of legal perspective. So that's what people are really concerned about. So you get those things done beforehand and it doesn't, it's like exactly the same. It doesn't take long, doesn't take much money also, just have to do it. It just helps you in the process as you go through it. Right, right. And one last question. Yeah, yeah. This is usually the most exciting question for the audience is, you know, if you can have one or two advice that you could give to the up and coming, to the people who are still in the trenches, wanted to be there, wanted to get to that successful point, what advice would you give them? Great. I mean, I think you got to stay. That's it. You know, I think it's not only me, but I think a lot of there's a lot of books written around this is, yes. you know, staying the course and, you know, fighting it out will lead to success. And too often than not, like I think, you know, I've looked back a lot of times that I just walked away. I could have stayed the course probably. So I think I would argue that that's one of the things that you know, I think I look for in people, like, do you have the energy to stay in it? Um, and the other one would be really like, you know, focus on one or two things realistically, right? I mean, you can't focus on 15 things and get everything right. Yes, yes. You're just not going to be going to get everything right. And people will get frustrated with, you know, oh, my God, this is not working. That's not working. That's not working. That's not working. like, look, there are eight things you've talked about. Why don't we just talk about two and make sure that they work? Yeah. Forget about the rest. They're not going to work. Don't worry about it. Yeah. I mean, literally, you cannot do anything about it, right? Yes. I mean, executive, I mean, obviously, executive function, that's what executive function is like to kind of distill 20 problems down to two important problems mm -hmm. and then focus on the two problems and nail them realistically, right? And so, so for that requires like your ability to kind of let go of the other eight. They're not perfect, but if you try to fix that... And this, and this, you're probably going to do a bad job at all three, effectively, probably. And so that's what most people have, a, including me, I would say it's easier to give advice than to actually do it, obviously. So, <laughs> so I would say, like, you know, I, I can look back at a bunch of times I've chased after five or six things, and then they've been very detrimental. And the minute we've kind of focused on two or three things, and we nail it usually, you know, on the things that we focus, and we are, and that requires a constant kind of like re-engineering of your, you know, of your internal thought, like, what are we going to do? this quarter what are we not going to do this quarter mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. like most people talk about like hey let's do abc this quarter right. but also let's talk about what are you going to not do this quarter right and so be purposeful yeah if you are purposeful in the beginning of the quarter like i'm not going to do these things yes done right so everybody in the company you all this also brings about clarity in the company right yeah. with your group who are you interfacing with somebody i mean you bring up a good point right you said okay i'm going to focus this two or three things this quarter then you know the next week something come up mm -hmm. if you don't purposefully say i don't want to do these things then you kind of start to take on more yeah. as the quarter goes and yeah. And then at the end of the quarter, you're 18 things. And then yeah. you're like, shit, those two things that I wanted to do, the beginning of the quarter. I didn't mean my goal. Yeah. Yep. No, so, so it's very important to say what you're not going to do, mm -hmm. in my mind. like, So we go through this exercise every, you know, what are you going to do this quarter and what you're not going to do this quarter? It actually helps even like communicating to other people, like this is not a priority to me. Because you can communicate to other people, like this is a priority and this is what I want to do. But... How are you communicating? Like, this is not a priority to me, right? By when it's like, three things I want to do and three things I'm not going to do. Yes. And it's easier to prioritize that. And I think it's easier to communicate also. Like, okay, here's a, you know, so if you have some ideas about this thing that I'm not going to work on, don't bother 
telling you that like I already told you like then I'm not going to do any of this stuff. Right? So don't talk to me about that. Right. So it helps in terms of internal kind of alignment and communication also. All right. Great. Thank you. Awesome. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Good. And thank you for listening. And we will come back next time with another successful bootstrapper. All right. See you next time. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the story. I would love to hear from you. Please leave your comments on our podcast page, brainsharecoach.com slash bootstrappers. If you know someone who has made it big, I would love to tell their stories. Please get in touch with us. In the meantime, push on, make it happen, and celebrate your wins. See you next time.